0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Max Spence Business Podcast. Today we have a very special guest, but before I jump into that, if you guys like the content I'm putting out, the people I'm interviewing, you know, please like, subscribe, leave a review. It helps out a ton with the podcast and also the people that are coming on the show. If you can go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review, that helps out a ton as well. So today's guest, I'm very excited to have on the show. His name's Bruce Firestone. Uh, if, if you guys live in the Ottawa area, you're probably familiar with him. So he's actually an Ottawa-based real estate developer. Uh, he's also a former sports team owner and founder, of the ottawa senators so uh if you guys are into hockey you probably know the ottawa senators the hat he's wearing right now <laughs> and he's also a university professor um, and yeah so th- this guy is absolutely crazy and phenomenal uh, and i'm really excited to have him on the show uh, so yes yeah, so thank you for coming on the show bruce I, I'm super glad to be here, Max.
1: You know, I have been an educator, uh, uh, you know, hockey guy, a real estate developer. And, and, and you know, when people ask me, you know, what it is that you do, they kind of have a hard time pigeonholing me because I've done a lot of different things. That's not necessarily a good news story because most of the people that I coach today, I do some real estate investment and business coaching, as you know, most of the people I coach today, I, I tell them, you got to focus. And then they say, well, we'll look at your career. And I said,
0: exactly. <laughs> So the, the the crazy thing is uh like what, what like if if you don't mind saying like how 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 old are you right now? I'm 69. Yeah, so so he he's he's like Bruce is almost 70 years old like and that's the crazy yeah, thing yeah, is yeah. like like majority of people are almost like you know like well probably you're like retiring at that age and you're still like just like moving on to the next thing which i find that's is absolutely true. crazy is you're just like you just keep producing like well, more content and more, content I and more do, stuff. In. <laughs>
1: I do. I, you know, I, I just before we got on the podcast, I I said I don't really have any addictions except one, and that's to writing. And, and of course, coaching and teaching is it's really kind of in my DNA, I think. So, so and something else, I, I think I, I should add for your your listeners and your viewers, and that is, my dad before he passed away said, people should never retire. You might change what you do, but you know, when you're an older person, Max, just to sit at home and watch TV all day, even if you could afford to do that, is a very bad idea for for most people. And 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 the difference between. Uh, an old person and a young person isn't necessarily the fact that I'm 69 and I think you're in your 20s. I think the difference is once you decide you know everything and nobody can teach you anything, you grow old. And so when you're not open to new ideas and change, uh, you're, you're an old person. I know old 30 year olds and I know young 80 year olds. So, so I think the, 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 real difference is attitude. And I think having an attitude and an openness to new ideas and, and, and learning new things, I think is really important.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, hundred I, I percent, And I, I, I actually love that a lot. Uh, so one thing that we were talking about before I actually went live, uh, was, um, uh was actually you mentioned something about tiktok uh so actually what, you mentioned it well i i i, I mentioned something about tiktok yeah. but uh bruce had something uh Bruce, you you wanted to say something about tiktok yeah, and actually yeah. the real estate I and mean,
1: just because because you brought it up max i, I you know i actually really love uh, social media i love social media i was a very early adopter of twitter and, and uh I'm not so keen on Facebook, but I'm on Facebook, uh, Instagram. I think I have a Pinterest account. I, I probably have a bunch of others. YouTube is very important to me because I do a lot of recorded uh, sessions like this. And and uh, so I, I do like social media because social media, you know, obviously it's subject to abuse, but social media allows for an expression and it also kind of evens up the playing field. When I was your age, you know, the local newspaper really controlled uh, the the news cycle. I mean, the local daily newspaper was it. If you got on the wrong side as a business owner of your local newspaper, it, you were in real trouble. Which is one of the reasons why I started Ottawa Business News in the nineteen eighties, which is now uh, rebranded as Ottawa Business Journal, because the local news daily newspaper was I, I didn't think was doing a very good job covering the local uh, uh, you know business community, and I thought uh, we should kind of even the playing field now. Uh, Social media allows people for good or for evil, but for good, mostly in the case, I think, of you and me, uh, it allows us to have a voice. And I think that's really important. And people might be forgetting that when you do have something like Twitter trolls, uh, you know, and Wikipedia trolls and other uh, things. And TikTok is just the newest, um, you know, outlet for mostly young people, but not all, only young people to, to be really creative. And there is a real estate component of that. And, and so that's one of the things I wanted to mention. In Los Angeles, um, the people are renting fabulous houses, you know, like they're, they're paying 30,000, 40,000, even 50,000 US dollars a month in rent, which is a little bit more than, you know, most people in say a little town like Ottawa pay in rent. And they're renting these fabulous mansions and they're bringing these young, mostly young people who can dance and who can sing, who can act, uh, who can write, um, uh, you know, who are brilliant performers. They bring them and they call them tic-tac-tac. TikTok houses and you bring them together and, you know, they create eight, 10, 12, uh, you know, wonderful, uh, amusing, fun, uh, uh, you know, videos a day, put them out there and and they're monetizing that content. So I'd like to see a TikTok house in in in, in, in my hometown, which is Ottawa or in Toronto or
0: in, in San Francisco. It doesn't just have to be LA. We have lots of creative people in this town. Do, do you know the crazy thing about saying that is I was actually thinking, of actually starting one uh, a couple of days ago just while like I, I was i was drifting off well to sleep and- <laughs> if you need any coaching i'm your guy because i i, I you know i love the the idea
1: of uh, you know back uh, in the day uh, i wanted to create something called entrepreneur house where you you have some somebody like me who who's living there you know uh for six months you know you bring it's like a visiting professor uh, an entrepreneur like me you you put him or her in the middle of the house and you you bring entrepreneurs to to live there. Um, you, you know, there's very famous incubators, business incubators in California and elsewhere, but they miss one aspect of that. Um, and, and that is, if you apply for that incubator and you're accepted to the program, some of my former students have done that. You go to California, you go to San Francisco, you're accepted. And, and you, you know, there's this wonderful group of people, you know, there's a cohort around you and they train you for three months, but they don't provide you a place to live. Now, in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, finding a place to live a little easier today during the pandemic, but nobody's going there anyway. But, but before that, it was very hard to find a place to live. So to me, an entrepreneur house is about having a, a, you know, a business in computer where you train people. And the, and, and, but if they could live as well as work there, the live-work thing, I think, even before the pandemic hit us, I think was really important. And if you could have an entrepreneur house. So to me, TikTok house is just a, an offshoot of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, one hundred percent, and and that's something that I was thinking about, and and I heard it a bit from Gary V of like not in that sort of sense, but more of like getting together with local entrepreneurs and renting a a space so you can be very productive. Uh, So if you're interested
1: in doing an entrepreneur house slash TikTok house,
0: I'm your coach. (laughs) One hundred percent, yeah, yeah, and 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 you have the like. Um, just just so you, you, you've given me a, a bit of information over like uh, the I mean past couple of weeks of like stuff that like case studies and stuff, and I have to say some of, these are some of the ba- best case studies on business and real estate that I've ever seen, uh, hands down. So I, well, I, I, I,
1: I have to tell you this. First of all, you made my day by saying that because as I said earlier, my only addiction is writing. <laughs> but the second point is, uh, I, this is a little politically incorrect, but it's like being the tallest dwarf. Um, To be honest with you, most of the education, both at university and college level, most of the coaching and mentorship that's going on in real estate, and to some extent in business as well, is very, very poor. Um, You know, I got into a big argument, it's got to be 20 years ago now, uh, because one of the things that I've specialized in, both in real estate and in business, is bootstrap capital, self-financing and um and, and, and there 's very little written about self financing that 's worth a hoot uh, and i 've been specializing in this for more than twenty years because if you think about it, even in technology uh, uh, technology startups almost all of them are bootstrapped almost all of them are self capitalized you know you hear about uh, you know Uber getting ten billion dollars of uh, venture money, which is fantastic but you know, to be honest with you, that that's a very, very, very uh, small number of companies that get that type of funding. So most of us are left with self-capitalization or bootstrap financing because, as you know, most banks, uh, almost all of them, uh, only lend money to people who don't need it, right? In other words, if you go to a bank and say, I'd like a loan, I've got this great idea for a tech startup or, or whatever... You know, they'll, they'll be nice to you They're you know, especially for Canadian banks, you know, we're so polite, they'll be kind to you, but they'll, they'll put you through the ringer, they'll ask you for all kinds of information. And after four months, they'll tell you no, uh, because you don't have enough collateral. So if you had a million dollars in, in cash in the, in, in the bank, and you wanted a million dollar loan, they'd say, well, we're going to secure our loan against your million dollars in cash. So 1 million in loan, and 1 million in cash, when you add those two numbers together, still make 1 million. Right, You haven't gotten anywhere. So self-capitalization is very, very important. And so I got into this argument with a Harvard professor and he had written a book on uh, you know, startup financing. And it, it, you know, in about 300 pages of his, uh, his writings, he defined self-capitalization as an entrepreneur who has money uh, probably from a previous startup that allows him to start up another startup with his own money. Well, to me, that is not what an entrepreneur is. An entrepreneur is somebody with skill and luck and ideas and business models and differentiation um, and all kinds of other cool uh, things, but not money. <laughs> you know. By definition, if you look at the word entrepreneur and you understand its origins, uh, it's somebody who has time and energy and, as I mentioned, business model and luck and other ingredients, but not a whole lot of money. Um, And so I disagreed with him. And I said, I'll give you an example. A typical entrepreneur who is starting up will get uh, uh, some funding uh, often from uh, people who have a strategic interest in his or her startup. And the Harvard professor told him, what are you you talking about? And I said, well, for example, trade creditors. Uh, You know, One of my friends a long time ago now started a moving and packing supplies business. Couldn't be any more boring than that, but it's a very successful business and he had no money. He just had uh, uh, himself and his uh, ideas, and uh, he went to his trade creditors, you know, people who provide cardboard boxes and, and uh, tape and other things that you need for uh, moving, you know, and he said, can I get some trade credit from you? In other words, can I order, you know, $100,000 worth of boxes and other things that I need, and can I pay you in 120 days? And because he had credibility, um, and he was uh, super charming too. They said yes. And so when you look at self-capitalization, Max, a lot of the startups come uh, about because they go to one of two sources mainly. One is trade creditors, in other words, suppliers, and the other are future clients. And uh, why would a client help you start your business? Well, because if if he or she needs what you're producing or the kind of service that you're providing, they wanna see you, you, you survive. And uh, so if you, if you can pre-sell a million dollars worth of your product or services and get a deposit of $300,000, 30%, that $300,000 represents a form of self
0: capitalization. So, but the, anyway, the
1: Harvard professor didn't really think much
0: of me. <laughs> no, that, 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 that's actually brilliant. And, and I've, I've heard that a couple of times, but you, you uh, from like different people, but like not explaining that way. And that is, uh, how you, how you laid that out is uh, I think that's going to be a huge piece of advice for people is actually being able to go to like, Hey, what, what before you actually start paying for lawyers or, you know, all this type of yeah. different stuff to try and set this up, try and secure a client. First, try and secure a client or a supplier first, and see if they will actually fund well, this. Let me just let me just talk about uh, the senators.
1: I, I applied, uh, you know, bootstrap capital or self capitalization in a huge way to the Ottawa Senators. We had 500 corporate sponsors put up money for a team that didn't exist. I announced, you know, 30 years ago uh, that we were going to try and bring back the Ottawa Senators. The Ottawa Senators uh, played in the NHL. Uh, from the inception of the National Hockey League until 1933. and In 1933, we were in the middle of a Great uh, Depression. It was a terrible depression, and, and the business was unable to continue. So it folded and moved to uh, St. Louis and played there for a year, and then they were done. And so we wanted to bring back the Ottawa Senators, which are, by the way, winners of 9, 10, or 11 Stanley Cups, Uh, after not having played a game in 60 years. So we announced we're going to bring back the Senators. We sold 15,000 season tickets, and we charged a little deposit uh, for a team that didn't exist. We got 500 corporations to give us some money just to be sponsors of the Bring Back the Senators campaign. We had media partners who wanted to uh, do the radio broadcasts and the television broadcasts, and they wanted to
0: support us. So we raised millions of dollars for a team that didn't exist. That that's crazy because like and sort of what I see is like you, you started like with such a strong idea and such a movement you you built like a movement behind it that everybody was wanting yeah. it to happen like the sponsors yeah. were wanting oh to my happen gosh. customers were wanting to happen the, the, media with media was wanting it to yeah happen. I mean you know uh, uh, there was a lot of pressure on us
1: to 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 succeed because you know and now once you have sold fifteen thousand season tickets for a team that doesn't exist uh, you know if you don't uh, if you don't follow up, come through, you're going to have a lot of disappointed people. I was thinking, holy smokes, now I got to make sure I win this thing or I'm going to have to find a new hometown.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy, but you know, it, it, it paid off and it went through and now we have the senators, uh, uh, yeah. which is absolutely crazy. So, uh, you know, get, get like getting to this point right now, you, you're almost 70 years old. Um, you know, what would like, you've done so much in, in your life, like, Crazy, yeah. like, and, yeah. we're, and we're probably just scratching the surface of what things you've produced or what things you've done. Uh, so going back, like, to like, you know, the younger Bruce uh, Firestone, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what would you, what would your recommendations be to become like, you know, if you could go back? And, and I mean, you're already so successful, uh, but like, what going back then, like, what what would you recommend to your younger self to be like more successful or to be right. more what, whatever, right? Or or, or, or what advice I, would you I, give? I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I understand
1: the question. Good question. Um, so um, one of the things I, I do is, you know, I still think I'm 20-something years of age or 30-something years of age because a lot of people I coach are your age and, and in their 30s and 40s, uh, even 50s and 60s, but lots of young people. And, and whether you're young or middle-aged or even a senior like me, uh, one of the things I, I, I really strongly advise is don't do what I did and, and that is uh, I did a lot of different things um, and, and I, I, I think if you can come up with a business model that that you think is uh, you know has uh, has has financial merit it will make money um, and that you're passionate about because being passionate about something is probably a a good idea if you're going to be doing it for a few decades. So you want to have your head, your heart, and your gut all in alignment. Your gut is your instinct. So if your instincts say, well, this I think will work, and your heart is involved because you're really passionate about it, and your head has done some analysis and say, yeah, this will probably make money for, for me and my family. So the very first thing I start the people I coach, whether they're in their 20s, 30s, or whatever, is start with a business model. And, um, you know, not a business plan. A business plan, you know, is 30, 40 pages that probably nobody but you will read. Um, And uh, a business model is simply a one-page description of the, the, basically the cash engine of your business. And, uh, you know, basically it has the business in the middle, your clients on one side, your suppliers on the other side. Up here is your marketing dimension because if you can't uh, find customers and clients in a cost-effective manner, you're probably not gonna be around very long. So if you came to me, uh, Max, and you said, I wanna start a business, I'm not sure which business, Uh, I've got a few ideas, but I would ask you to find something you're passionate about, where you have some skills, and then we will work very hard on a business model, that when we look at it, we say, yeah, that probably makes sense. I'll I'll give you an example of a young man I coach. His name is Chris Long. He he doesn't mind uh, me using his name. Uh, It's on YouTube if you ever want to look for it. Um, And uh, Chris was a a carpenter making about $18 an hour in his 20s, and he was a single uh, parent. He has a beautiful uh, daughter that he has been bringing up on his own for many years. And, um, you know, making $18 an hour as a carpenter, and he came from a very, very difficult background. It uh, You know, it wasn't that he had all of the advantages that, uh, you know, one would like to have in life. But he, he, he sort of brought himself up by the bootstraps and he ended up as a single parent as well, solely responsible for, for, for a baby. Uh, you know, and um, and I, I have tremendous uh, respect and love for Chris. Um, and he came to me for some coaching, and we went through this exact same process. You know, um, what what are you good at? What are, what are your skills? What are you passionate about? What's your why? Mark Twain said it better than I'll ever say it. He said the two most important days in your life, Max, are the day you are born and the day you find out why. And so I said to Chris, "Let's find out your why." And it turned out um, he he uh, he he really liked real estate. And most people think of real estate investment, well, I'll buy a townhouse and I'll rent it out and maybe someday I'll make some money on it. Well, that is a model, I suppose, but it maybe not a very interesting or very good model. And, and you know, you'll be my age or older before you make any serious money if you buy a townhouse at retail and try and make some money at it. It's a very slow process. Um, and I, I'm not too interested in coaching people just to do that. Um, So what I said to Chris is, there's some other different models I think you should look at where your skills might apply. He said, what's that? And um, there's a a client of mine in Arizona who runs a, a, a company called uh, Mini Contractor Yards. What the heck is Mini Contractor Yards? Well, it's very simple. You buy a piece of industrial land, you put down some gravel, and you create little uh, compounds of you know 40 feet wide by 100 feet deep, basically eight of these mini compounds per acre, and you rent them to contractors, You know, a heating, ventilation, and air conditioning uh, person, somebody who's uh, in the electrical supply business, doesn't matter. Uh, there's There's a million and one gigpreneurs out there today, and even more during the pandemic than there was before. So I said, Chris, I think that'll work in Ottawa. So what we did was we found him a piece of industrial land on Bank Street. You know Bank Street, right? Sort of bisects Ottawa, and it's fairly far south on Bank Street, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And it had this old broken down house on it, and it had 10 acres of industrial land. So I say, Chris, don't ever, ever, ever tear down that house. I mean, if I showed you that house, it, you would think, oh my God, it, it was torn down. But he's a he's a carpenter, he can fix it. So he did. So he's now got an apartment upstairs and an apartment downstairs that he can rent out. And he has developed the 10 acres into mini contractor yards. He bought that property for $470,000. Nobody else wanted it. It was just a complete mess. Um, but I like buying properties that look like that because young people like you and Chris have the energy to fix them up, which he did beautifully. And as fast as he could build his mini contractor yards, which are pretty simple, you can imagine, he could rent them out. So he bought it for $470,000. This is where bootstrap capital comes in. The seller of the property provided, I think it was 90% of the finance. He didn't go to the bank because he's, He's a single parent making, you know, 18 bucks an hour as a car- carpenter. You know, as I said, banks only lend money to people who don't need it. So I said, Chris, we're, we're not going there. But he had saved up about forty thousand uh, dollars, and the seller was willing to finance the rest for three years. Do you understand what I'm saying there?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's called
1: seller take back financing or vendor take back financing. It's a form of self-capitalization. And then uh, Chris uh, borrowed some money from uh, a private lender at, at 10%, which is very expensive money. And he started to build, you know, put, lay down the gravel, fix the house, rent it out, rent out these contractor yards. And, um, and he's about halfway through and he got an offer uh, just before Christmas in 2020 uh, for $3 million for the property. So he calls me up all oh, excited. I bought the thing for $470,000. I've got about $300,000 of additional money invested there. So less than 800 grand, I think, um, into it. And he got an offer for $3 million. I said, Chris, don't sell it. Why would you sell it? Uh, by the time you finish, it, it'll be worth 5 or $5.5 and, and you make so much money, makes over $30,000 a month now. Why would you sell it? And he said, right, I'm not, but I just, I'm super, super pleased I got this. And you can imagine for a young man still in his twenties or early thirties now, uh, you know, going from a $18 an hour uh, wage slave uh, to uh, being a, a millionaire is, it's a cool thing. And I'm super happy for him.
0: Yeah, no. And, and, and that's like, that, that's such an amazing story of like um, what, like, what the benefits are of real estate and how it can actually change your life of, you know, investing into real estate and making money through real estate. And it doesn't have to be what
1: everybody else is kind of telling you, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, like I said, you know, probably very politically incorrect, you know, to, to be the best real estate investment and business coach in the world, it is like being the tallest dwarf. There is very little competition. Most people in the real estate investment world are teaching people how to flip houses, for example, and 94% of people who try and flip a house uh, fail. Now, if I had a 94% failure rate in anything I've done in my life, I would throw myself off a bridge, <laughs> right? And so would you. So, yeah. so you, that is a, a, just awful. And they're charging outrageous amounts of money for their coaching. Uh, to have a 94% failure rate. So uh, I think that's a shame.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I, I've, I've, I've seen those, uh, I've seen those courses where they'll charge like 20 to $30,000. Mm-hmm. I, okay.
1: I, I had one middle-aged couple come to me and they said, we we've heard it's a great model. We're going to flip houses. I said, uh, no, no, I don't think I'll help you with that. Oh no, no. Uh, you know, we, we, we've heard, I said, listen, that's, that's great. I, I can't help you. I'm not going to coach you to, to, to failure and because everybody I know who flips houses flip until they flop. And sure enough, three years later, I'm now coaching them, but not how to make build wealth, but how to go bankrupt. Um, and, and they're going to go through a bankruptcy, and then they're going to have to rebuild, and they're going to have to adopt a model that works. And there's some that well, I've just described, for one, for example, that does work. And, uh, but you know, going bankrupt in your mid-50s is no joke. I mean, it's horrible at, in your 20s or 30s, but it's much worse when you're in your 50s
0: yeah yeah no that that's like if 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 i had a choice to go bankrupt i hopefully never do but if i had a choice i'd rather be in my early 20s to like 18 or 19 as soon as possible <laughs>
1: go, go tomorrow you know and that start again you're yeah. absolutely right because you have more bandwidth and you have more runway uh so so it is what it is and i i am going to coach them through it and uh, there's some things you can do if you are facing i mean ha- things happen i mean i understand that but i i could have predicted i did in fact predict uh, that that this would not end well
0: yeah yeah okay so uh now jumping to um what what, what has been your uh like biggest factors like do, do you like people are always looking like oh what's the secret sauce formula what's the secret sauce formula to success yeah. like how do these people do it right um, and, and the, like, probably what you're going to say is it revolves around hard work, focus, and like vision of where you want to go. Right. But like, what, 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 what are the things, uh, would you say that have been like the biggest factors to your success? Cause you've probably gone through a lot of failures in your life. You've gone through a lot of high times you've gone, you've yep. gone through it all. You know, you're, you're, you're like, you're almost 70 years old. So pretty much you've gone through like a lot, of, a lot of stuff in, in, in your life. So looking back on it, what, what, what was something that you sort of saw that you sort of realized now that you're like, Hey, that's why. I became so successful from being, you know, eighteen you to know. twenty to thirty to forty, you know, through my yeah. life, all these ventures.
1: So, so the, there's some obvious things. I'm going to turn off my email, otherwise, we're going to get that ping all the time. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. So, there, the, the things you summarized, you know, having, a, and I've talked about having a, a good business model, having something that differentiates you from from your competitors. That's important. Having focus. Having really good people around you is very important whether it's a coach or a mentor a lawyer a banker um, a lender excuse me uh, any anybody in your life a girlfriend a boyfriend a life partner uh, a business partner the, the the number one thing in in life I think you know most young people think of course the, the number one thing in in life it, it is love. And love is very important. I, I love my wife and I have five kids and three beautiful grandsons. So, uh, you know, I've, I've been truly blessed. But the number one thing in, in life it is trust, in my opinion. And if you have people around you that uh, uh, you can trust, you know, your staff, uh, you know, your employees, your contractors, your suppliers, your clients even, um, you know, you trust your clients to pay you, your suppliers trust you to pay them. So if you have people around you that you can rely on and trust, your life is going to be much, much better. And it took me a long time to figure out, Max, uh, that, um, uh, to paraphrase Mr. Trump, uh, to use these words, you're fired. Um, you know, from from his time as an apprentice, not as the president.
0: Okay. Um,
1: and and, uh, and I I learned those words very late in in my career. And today I am really good at that. If if somebody <laughs> proves that they can't be trusted, um, I exit them out of my life in a in a. In a heartbeat or two, and I think that's really important to surround yourself by people that you like and trust. The other thing I think that's really important, and I've already covered this off, is to be open uh, to new learning. And uh, I'll give you an example. I have a commercial building um, that 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 was was empty, and uh, so last year, no, sorry, two thousand and nineteen. Uh, my plan was to turn it into an event center, you know, where you could have a, a wedding or, uh, you know, some. I could do my coaching there. You know, every once in a while, I'll do a, a live event with 50 or 60 people. It's not a big building. It's only about 4,000 square feet, but it was vacant. And, uh, and so it, that was a great plan. You know, I thought, OK, I'm going to turn this into a little event center. It's in a rural area. It's next to a lake. It, it has a lot of uh, character. Um, and then the pandemic hit. And uh, and so I thought, whoa, well, um, you know, I do a little bit of keynote speaking because maybe I can't do anything else, but I can sure talk. Um, and and uh, so, uh, you know, I think this year I gave one keynote speech. Usually I do eight or 10, sometimes 12 a year, but obviously during a pandemic, that's almost impossible unless you do it on Zoom. And uh, so, uh, you know, I thought, well... That's not going to work. I'm not going to open an event center in the middle of a pandemic and have zero revenue with all the costs of conversion, which is substantial. Uh, so you have to be flexible. You have to be open to new learning. And so my, my wife, uh, who's my best friend, came up with the idea, well, we'll just use it for storage. You know, we'll turn it into a storage building. So we, we, we did that and it was unsuccessful. Uh, there's just way too many many storage places around. There's just way too many, so there we are. We're we, we're in the middle of repositioning the building. You know, adding all kinds of uh, elements to it, and uh, there's nobody coming uh, along and saying, "I need more storage." In the middle of a pandemic, so we missed. You know, it's a swing and a miss. Uh, you know, a strike, uh, strike one or two. I guess but that's probably strike two. So I didn't want to strike out with another strike. So. What I said was, maybe maybe in the middle of a pandemic, there's a different model that might make more sense. And, and my wife said, what's that? I said, because I'm doing so much coaching in Canada, the United States, a lot, a lot of people who are out of work uh, are starting their own side hustles, their own gigs. And so we turned it into a maker space, if you know what that is. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. Little, little workshops. We just had, we had storage containers, we had little workshops uh, coming out of our ears. Um, and, and so we turned it into a, a makerspace. And then people just started coming out of the woodwork. One lady wanted to make handmade soaps. Another lady was doing registered massage therapy. Another guy is a master timber framer. We've got a guy who imports end tables from China. Who knew? I mean, all these uh, little side hustles, just they just, hmm, and they filled up the, the, the building. And so, so The magic of being an entrepreneur is you're backed into a corner, you know, and and it's like Houdini. I don't know if you even know who Houdini is. You know, he was like the guy, you could put him in chains and bury him in a trunk and in in the water. And and somehow or another, they didn't die. Um, and, And, you know, so entrepreneurs are capable of being pushed into a corner with, you know, strike one, strike two, and oh my God, what am I going to do? I've got a million dollars in this project, <laughs> no revenue. And then they, they, they are open to new ideas and new learning and new thoughts. And they, they're plugged into the world, hopefully around them. And I've been very fortunate because I learned almost as much from the people I coach as they do from me. And I saw an opportunity to convert the building to a maker space, did that, and it was successful. So being flexible and open to new ideas is really important.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent, and and from that, what, what I loved is like you, you like let's say, like there's there a misstep the first time where you could like nobody could predict that a pandemic was going to happen yeah. for your event yeah, space. You, you 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 then adapted. The adaptation didn't work, and then you it adapted worked. again, and then it worked yeah. perfectly, right? Yeah,
1: and, and, and that's what what is the key to being an entrepreneur. You know, uh, know when to, uh, there was a song I think, know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Yeah. And my dad said it better. He said, dump the losers, Bruce, and keep the winners.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and, and that's a great thing, actually. And, and talking about that in more detail is like, people might hear that. It's like, yeah, dump dump the losers and, and hold on to the winners. Is like, how how are you supposed to like, like anticipate that like right it's like it's 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 a very hard thing to do right it's like you
1: you cannot that's a very good point max i i I salute you for that because the the actual uh, uh reality is that you and i and my wife dawn uh and my youngest son matthew has helped us uh we we could sit in a room somewhere for two years planning what to do with this empty commercial building of ours it wouldn't have made any difference. You actually have to go out into the marketplace. The marketplace is right even when it's wrong. And you and I are not the market. The market will tell us what is right. That's just the way it is. I mean, <laughs> it just is. And and, um, and there's no way to, to really know how a product or service will do until you have exposed it to the marketplace. And one of my friends who runs a, a, a company called horse country campground, where you can go camping and bring your horse and dog, which is not, you know, you can't do that everywhere, right? Uh, You know, you bring your horse and the dog to a typical campground they go, what the heck are you doing? (laughs) So he runs horse country campground. And I assumed that uh, he's a very nice fellow, I assumed he knew everything about horses and about dogs and about campgrounds. He said, I don't know anything about it. He said, I I can't even ride a horse, I ride a pickup truck. (laughs) And I said, what, 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 what does that mean? He said, well, here's the thing, Bruce, you don't have to know a darn thing about the business you're going into other than you have to like it, I guess. You have to have some kind of business model you have to be passionate about, it. you have to think it'll work. Uh, but your customers will teach you everything you need to know about the business because the moment you uh, expose your product or service to the, the market, customers and clients will ask you questions that you never will think about, never. Never, and as soon as they go, oh, oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's a good idea. I think I could make that change. So being willing to 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 make changes to your business model as you go is really crucial.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I actually like again, I, I love that a lot. With uh, you know, like just going out and doing it and just testing it with the market instead of like that's good. uh, and, and and that's one thing. I don't know if you're you're familiar with Gary V. Uh, he, he's very sure. like yeah, he, he's he, he's huge and stuff. So I I see a lot of his content. But one thing he does, he he was saying the exact same thing as you were saying. He says, just go out and do it. He says, the market's going to tell you if you're right or wrong. Absolutely. And and it
1: won't take very long. You know, (laughs) you do some advertising for storage and nobody shows up for three or four months. You know, you screwed up.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's like that. So I actually uh, actually started teaching a
1: course uh, last year, 2020, called Pivot. Okay. Now, where do you think the idea for Pivot came from? What, what was it from that? Uh, was it from the the storage? Yeah, from the, because I, I had to pivot three times before I found something that worked. So I thought, oh, my gosh, that's a great name for a course. So I, I just like on Easter weekend, as so many people were being laid off, I said, well, I'm going to teach a course how to start, uh, um, you know, a business in three months with practically no money. That's the pivot course. So if anybody wants to, to uh, take the pivot course, I've got it's all recorded. I've got 12 wonderful lectures. But uh, entrepreneurs who've been there and done it, technology, real estate, uh, media, uh, you know, services, you, you name it. I've got 12 wonderful entrepreneurs, many of them people I've coached uh, and, and, uh, and have been students of mine. They, I did 12 wonderful lectures. They actually did. It. I just was the host. And uh, it's all recorded. And for 195 bucks, you can uh, take the course.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. And, and I, I, I would actually, like, I, I like – I don't know the course, but from what you've given me so far of his, like your case studies that I've read over, if it's the same quality as that, then it's definitely worth it. Cause like the case studies that I read over that, that you gave to me were absolutely phenomenal.
1: Well, one of the case studies, uh, one of the lectures, they're all recorded. They're all, they're unlisted because I only, you want them to be for people who are serious. Uh, They're all unlisted, but they're all on YouTube. And so for 195 bucks, you get, I think there's seven assignments you have to do and there's 12 lectures, recorded lectures, and it takes, you know, uh, anywhere from two to three months to get through all the stuff, but it, it is a really good course, and I did it because, you know, tens of millions of people just in Canada and the United States alone were, were were unemployed, and, you know, many in Canada on the SERB benefit, including one of my children, and uh, even more in the United States, so, so I created the course, and uh, after we're finished, if you want, I'll send you the link,
0: yeah. Yeah. I understand that, that. That, that, would be amazing. Yeah. Um, so what, 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 moving on now is, uh, so like, uh, like what we've talked about so far is like, you know, going out and doing it and testing the market. One thing that might be hold or like, you know, getting these courses or doing all this crazy stuff that you, that, that you've been able to execute. So that you've been able to execute and adapt around, uh, how how do you overcome fear that's like i see a lot of people that you know like some people they can instinctually just start doing it like they'll just jump into the deep end and they'll just yeah. start rolling and doing it yeah. other people you know it's a slow sort of walk yeah. into the, like you know you go into like the shallow end and then you slowly yeah. walk into the deep end right um, and that can take years for people to actually yeah. go into jumping, like uh, you know, jumping into the deep end of the business, right? So, how have you seen from teaching all these people? How, how, how have you sort of coached or told people how to overcome that sort of fear? Well, I, I think um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll talk about sports for for a
1: minute. Um, about fifty uh, percent of National Hockey League players uh, are essentially broke within five years of their playing careers being completed. And about 75% of National Football League players are similarly broke within five years of their playing days being over. And um, and, and if I were an owner of a, a, of a professional sports team, again, probably the first thing that I, I would do was I, I would hire a coach for every one of my players. I would. I know that's very self-serving because I am a, a real estate investment and business coach, so I understand that there's a little bit of uh, self-interest in this comment. But I, I'm quite serious about it. I have thought about it because I think it's a shame that somebody who is earning uh, two or three million dollars a year, or 13 million dollars a year, for three or four years, or six or seven years, or if they're lucky, maybe a decade, uh, you know, and then they're broke. It's a really unfortunate. Uh, outcome. You know, they worked so hard from the time they're little boys uh, to perfect their art, uh, and then you know, most people think the life of a professional athlete is uh, is all uh, you know fun, and and and, uh, and and it's not. It's a lot of very hard work to to become an elite athlete. is not easy, um, and 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 then there they are at 30 or 35 um, retired, and they're basically 35 year olds with 55 year old bodies. And 17-year-old minds, and uh, they they just don't have a lot of life experience. And the reason for that is when you become a professional athlete, people give you your plane tickets, your hotel room key, when where to eat, when to eat, what to eat, uh, when to show up for practice, when to show up for games, and uh, your life is very very regimented. And so there you are, 35 with a 55-year-old body, you know, creaking. Um, And uh, really no life experience. So for those professional athletes, and I coach a number of them in the National Football League and some in the NHL, too, I put them on a very simple program. Uh, The program that I, I, I run for professional athletes has to be very simple. First of all, they have zero time. Right, they have no time. So the program that that I would put somebody like you on would be quite different. You know, Chris Long's program, your program, Max, would be very different. But for a professional athlete, it has to be extremely simple, and it has to be very secure. So we do the the absolute minimum. So we put somewhere between 10 and 15% of their annual salary while they're playing. So if you're making $10 million US a year, they're putting a million to a million and a half dollars aside and generally speaking, they're buying uh, homes in their hometown, simply a very simple model. Uh, so if you have a million US dollars a year in many of these hometowns, there are small towns in Texas, small towns in Florida, and uh, you know you could buy homes for not very much money and they rent them out. They don't duplex them, they don't add basement apartments, micro suites, side yard apartments, backyard workshops, none of the animation stuff that I, I teach for people like you, uh, they simply Uh, buy a house in their hometown where they want to help out and they rent it to a nice family and get a little bit of money. And generally they pay cash uh, for these properties or they pay cash with a little bit of mortgage. Also I tell them, and they do, they put it in their own name. Not in their girlfriend's name, not in, even in their wife's wife's name, not it, certainly not in their agent's name. They don't put it in a corporation, it's just in your name. So it would be max on title. And if it, you're on title, if you are personally on title, it's very hard for somebody to take that from you because they all have these incredibly expensive entourages around them with can't miss ideas, you know, that you should invest in. And uh, we have an example here in Ottawa for the senators, a wonderful player for, descends for many years, Chris Neal, who went bankrupt even before his playing days were over. And he invested in a sports bar that that failed. And a sports bar today can consume five or $6 million of of your money in in a year or two just to set it up with a brew pub and other things. And if it doesn't work, that money is just gone. And uh, that's a shame. So if you own uh, at the end of your career, say some of my clients, they own 50 homes that are you know, worth $200,000 each, doesn't sound like a whole lot, but you know, 50 homes at $200,000 each is $10 million worth of real estate. And it produces, if you have 50 of them, $1,000 a month in income, uh, so you have fifty thousand dollars a month, an in income six hundred thousand dollars a year uh, to take care of you. Now, when you're making ten or twelve billion dollars, six hundred thousand dollars doesn't sound like very much, and it isn't for them. For you and me, I think that would be quite a nice uh, amount. But for them, it's a very small. But when I say to them, "Yeah," but that is your iron reserve. That that is the uh, you know the, the key thing. So I, I think that the the key, and again, this is a bit self-serving, but the key is. Um, to find a mentor or a coach uh, that you like and trust. Um, and once he or she gives you the thumbs up, Max, that makes sense. I think that'll probably work. That's very important uh, advice. He gives you the, the, the confidence to say, yeah, I'm probably on the right track. Nobody can know for sure, but you're much more likely, I think, to be successful in, in that Um, regard if you have somebody uh, who you like and trust, who's giving you the thumbs up. Even more importantly, uh, that coach of yours, Max, can tell you when you're probably on the wrong track. Well, I don't think that's going to work, right? If you're going to build an event center in the middle uh, of of a pandemic, you know, your coach might say to you, gee, uh, Max, I don't think that's going to be workable, and we don't know how long the pandemic is going to last. Oh, it's only going to last two weeks. And a lot of us thought, oh, well, I'll go home for two weeks and the pandemic will be over. Well, it didn't work out that way. So so a coach can uh, you know, help you make better decisions, I think. And uh, I'll give you one last thing on this. Um, uh, I was told by, uh, uh, by the Oilers GM back in the day, Glenn Sather, when he was uh, a general manager for the Edmonton Oilers, he said the best deals you will ever do, Bruce, in the NHL, Uh, uh, and the best trades you will ever make are the ones you don't make. And I, I thought about that. What the heck does he mean by that? And what he meant by that, Max, is that the best businesses you will ever start are the ones you don't. And Steve Jobs said before he passed away that he was more proud of the things Apple didn't do than what they did do. And that's what a good coach can help you do. If you are going to do something that's going to waste three, four or five years of your life uh, and probably end up with you bankrupt or or worse, um, uh, he or she, your coach can say,
0: that's probably not going to work. Maybe you could
1: come up with something else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I understand. And, and, and that's like, uh, later on down the road is like once I start to produce more income is actually hiring uh, a coach. Cause I, I I believe that there's like in finance and like sports and like, you know, you, 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 everybody hires a personal trainer to get them fit, but nobody really hires somebody to actually help them with their finances, which I find very, very surprising.
1: Well, I I have to tell you that, that I'm with you on that a hundred percent. And unfortunately, you know, when I, I was uh, quite uh, negative about, um, uh, uh, about uh, you know, real estate, uh, much of the real estate coaching world, and even the business coaching world, I'm quite skeptical. I think the financial planning industry is in, uh, is in a total mess as well. Um, uh, you know, I love that commercial on TV, I don't remember which company it was, where this guy, not much older than you, maybe in his 30s, is looking at his, you know, at his looking at his financial statement. And he's saying, how come my returns are so low? And my commissions are so high. And the financial planner on the other side of the table, you know, some real cool dude, you know, says, Wow, you know, it's a long term game. And the guy then says, sucker says, uh, Yeah, it's, it's not a game to me, it's my retirement. And, uh, you know, I I went through this, uh, you know, I I interviewed uh, three of the so-called top financial planners in my hometown, and I I found the advice that they were giving me was absolutely terrible. uh, One guy was trying to sell me a life insurance policy that would cost me $10,000 a month, uh, which is a heck of a lot of money, I thought, and uh, and what he didn't disclose to me is that if I had been stupid enough to sign it, he would have got an $80,000 commission up front. I only found that out later. So I, I, I think that financial planning advice, we should teach that to our children, to our teenagers, to our 20-somethings, your age group. Uh, but we also have to make sure that we trust the people who are entrusted with this kind of responsibility. And I am very skeptical of the existing financial planning uh, 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 you know, system that we have. You know, think about the Canada Pension Plan, which is a a a national pension plan program. Do you know what the average CPB payout was last year, Max? Uh, No, I I I I don't know. It was six hundred ninety dollars a month. So if you could live on six hundred ninety dollars a month, you don't need any coaching. You're good. But most of us, you, you can't even, in my hometown, you can't rent a room for 690 bucks a month. You, you can rent a room, well, maybe you could get one for $600, so you'd have $90 a month to feed yourself, clothe yourself, go to the dentist if you had a you know, problem with your tooth. I, I mean, it's impossible. Uh, yeah. so, so you can't really rely on financial planners who have their own interest, uh, uh, put their own interest ahead of yours. You can't really rely on the government uh, to take care of you when you're a little bit older. Uh, who are you going to rely on? I, I think it, you have to own a personal business for life and you have to have some real estate. At least that's my conclusion.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no. And, 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 and that's what I got from the case study that, that, that you gave me it made a lot of sense about that is, is how you actually laid it out and you laid it out in such like an easy way to digest. And it makes sense that it's like, yeah, it's like, why am I not doing this right now? Why am I not building this? Why am I not putting these things into? So, so uh,
1: I'd like to make a deal with you right now. Yeah. Um, since you liked business model illustrations, which has 10 case studies in it, three business cases and seven real estate cases, I think you still have the link somewhere on your email from me, right? Yeah. So anybody who's listening to this podcast,
0: I give you permission right now. It, it, are you going to put this on YouTube? Yeah, it'll, it'll be on YouTube. And then also get posted on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, all that sort of good stuff. Yeah, that's fine. But when it's on
1: YouTube, uh, put in the description, hey, here's Prof Bruce's business model illustration book. Uh, with the link, I give you permission and anybody who watches the podcast, I'm, I'm happy if they, you know, they could, they could go to my website and give me 10 bucks or they can go to your uh, YouTube uh, uh, podcast and get it for free.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. And and guys, I highly, highly, highly recommend that. Thank you a lot, Bruce. Uh, And, and I'll, yeah, like that, that's absolutely amazing. That's, that's so generous because what, like I, I haven't finished all of it, but I've read halfway through it. And the information that just in the halfway already of just how you actually look at things for these case studies has uh, been absolutely phenomenal and, and how you've laid it out, oh, which is you. amazing.
1: There's another half of that deal that I haven't finished with. Okay. So they get a free book, uh, you know, the uh, the business model illustration book from listening to your podcast and it'll be on the YouTube uh, channel uh, in the description. But I'd also like you to include a link to my pivot course. Yep. Okay. I'll send you that as I promised. And, uh, and so people think, oh, well, that's a pretty good book uh, and they want to invest another $195 uh, they can uh, apply for and be accepted uh, to, to do the pivot course, which is really, I think an excellent course.
0: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So yeah, that, 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 that sounds great then. Uh, so I, I know we're coming to the end here. Uh, thank you for coming on the show, Bruce. You've dropped great. a ton of knowledge on the show. I wish it was longer. So. Um, and uh, where can people find out more about you? So uh, the, the best place to find uh, me
1: is brucemfirestone.com. So you have to put the M in there—that's my middle initial. So it's brucemfirestone.com, and uh, you know if, if you can't remember that, you just put my name in um, in, in, in a Google uh, uh, toolbar. And, you know, you get a few million uh, hits on me, uh, and I'm always available on email. I ask people not, you know, I have about 2,500 people I've put through my coaching program. So I ask people not to call me because if they did, I wouldn't do anything other than answer phone calls. Uh, So email me if you want, bruce at brucemfirestone.com. Bruce at brucemfirestone.com.
0: All right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Bruce, for uh, coming on the show.
1: I really enjoyed it. And I I, want to wish everybody a, a healthy, safe and prosperous 2021. Awesome.